down in May But I know I'm gonna change that tune When I'm back on top, back on top in June Good morning again, Journey Church. Good to be with you. We're going to be in the book of Colossians, Colossians 3, 18 through 4, verse 1 this morning. We're going to be talking about our homes and our jobs as we continue our series called That's Life. Colossians 3, 18, and I'll stop at chapter 4, verse 1. Wives... Submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. A couple weeks ago, we sent out a survey, and we asked you to respond to us and sort of uh, talk back and give us some feedback on when you'd like to regather, how comfortable you are in terms of regathering. And it was a very interesting process in terms of receiving those. We received about 500 of those surveys, and really, honestly, we had a wide array of responses. We had folks who were ready to come back. About half of you were ready to come back right now. No reservations, no concerns whatsoever. And then about half of you that were ready to come back, but you had concerns. Uh, you, you weren't ready to come back. Some of you who were really enjoying the online experience. And so we had a wide array of that. And I want you to be aware of that as we come back and as we regather as a church. We've got a wide spectrum of who we are in this building and as a church. And I love love that about this church. I love that we are a diverse church with diverse thinking, that we're not all the same. And I love that it causes some tension. I love that it sometimes is hard and that it pushes on you sometimes because I think that's a better view of the body of Christ. And so I want to just thank you once again for your responses for that. We're going to try to regather next week in a respectful and responsible manner. 
But I wanna turn the tables on you this morning a little bit. I don't wanna ask any more questions about how you think we're doing over here. I want you to ask a reflective question this morning about how you're doing. And the reflective question is this, how would I rate my home and my job life right now? How would I rate my home and my job life right now. Take a, take a moment, give yourself a personal inventory. If you're doing a survey for yourself to rate how you're doing at home and at your job. Some of you might say, hey, I'm, I'm doing 10. I'm feeling great about home. I'm feeling great about my job. Things are going really well. And good for you, all three, three of you, two of you, three of you, however many, uh, just a few, I bet. The rest of you who are probably aren't lying, I would probably say you're somewhere below that 10. Maybe you're right in the middle. You're somewhere a five, a six. You're like, ah, it's going okay. Some of you would be really honest with me and you would say, man, especially during stay at home, it was like a negative seven in my house, all right? Like, I'm gonna be honest with you. There were moments that were negative seven in my home during uh, this season of Life. Would love for you to interact right now. Here's what I want you to do online. I want you to go to whatever uh, platform that you're on, church online platform, Facebook or YouTube, and type in whatever your score is. No judgment zone. Give us your score. Tell us how you're doing at home and in your job right now. This morning, I think we're going to have a really practical moment in front of us. A moment that can lean into whatever score that you are currently inputting or that you're thinking about or talking about in whatever place that you are gathered at. Paul has some really practical instructions for us after he's talked to us about putting off our old self and putting on our new self, being clothed in love like Bob talked about last week. Paul wants to then use that backdrop and he wants to give us some really practical ways to live in our home and in the life around us. So let's begin Paul's guide to that's life at your home. Paul's guide to that's life at your home. Number one, number one is this, honor your husband, honor your husband. So it says this, wives submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Can you feel the landmines that I'm about to step in? Okay, like, uh, okay. So I know some of you are like, oh boy, here we go, right? So here, here's what I wanna do. I don't wanna lean out of this. Sometimes here's what we do. Sometimes we dance around these passages and we're just like, oh, I'm not gonna like deal with this. But we have to deal with what this says. This week, I wrestled with this and, and what I actually did was I asked a whole bunch of women, godly women, what they thought that this passage meant. Because I don't know what it's like to sit in that seat, right? And so what I did was I just want to give a shout out to Michelle Quigley. Thank you so much. I want to give a shout out uh, to Tim and Kathy Keller. Their book, The Meaning of Marriage, was incredibly helpful in this moment. I don't want to sidestep it, though. And I want to encourage you as wives to honor your husbands. I want us to go back in the story all the way to Genesis, Genesis has this story uh, right away about God creating man and he creates man on the sixth day after he's created everything else and after every single day he looks around and he says, look at what I did, that is good. 
But he gets to the end of all creation. He's created Adam and he's looking around at creation and he realizes there is something that is not good. It says that he he notices that Adam is alone and he says it's not good for the man to be alone. Can I get some husbands at home to say amen? It's not okay for me to be alone, right? So here's what I want to lean into. God from the very beginning, he creates woman. And he creates her out of a sense that, that Adam on his own is not complete. That Adam on his own, he's not fully who he needs to be. And that's not good. And God wants to correct that. He wants to make that whole. And so what he does is he creates woman. And what he says in Genesis is that he makes a helper suitable for her Husband, a helper suitable for her husband. Some of you didn't like the word submit already, and now you really don't like me because I use the word helper, but that's in the Bible as well, so you gotta take that one up with God. But let me help you a little bit. Actually, let Kathy Keller help you a little bit. Kathy Keller says it this way. The word ezer means helper in Hebrew. And what does helper mean? Uh, Most often, it's used in the Old Testament as a word for God himself, that God is our helper in ever-present trouble. It's not a title of weakness. It's quite the opposite. It's a title of empowerment, someone that a man can't do this life without. Kathy Keller continues. She says, to help someone then is to make up what is lacking in him with your strength. Woman was made to be a strong helper. In this specific passage, when it uses the word submit, it means to support. There's this deep sense of respect and support and help for your husband. And that's why I think a great word for us is to honor your husband. No matter who your husband is, whether he's a great husband or not, we'll get to that in a second, okay? But whether your husband is doing a great job in loving you or not, you can find a way to honor your husband. So it hurt, hurts me, honestly, um, sometimes when I hear about wives who don't honor their husbands, who get together and talk poorly about their husbands and about how their husbands are failing them and how about how their husbands don't love them well enough and their husbands don't take care of him and they wish their husband would grow up. And, and even though some of those things might be true, the question for us, uh, uh, for you, not for you as Christian women, Christian wives, is how can you find a way to honor your husband? I don't wanna sidestep this word submit. Submit simply means putting someone in a higher position, elevating them. And, and if you've got a problem with this, read Philippians 2 this week. Jesus says this, who was in very nature God, didn't, e- didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You're never more like Jesus than when you honor, than when you honor others, and in particular, when you honor your husband. Submission is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of great power. So wives, honor 
your husbands. Second, love your wife. Husbands, love your wife. It says this, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. In the cultural context of that day, women were simply viewed as property. That's all they were viewed as. They were viewed as a man's property. So what Paul is saying here is actually quite transformational. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Don't treat them like that. Here's what I want you to do instead. I want you to love them and not treat them harshly. Uh, Paul, Paul speaks more about this when he writes to the Ephesians where he goes further. He says, hey, husbands, love your wives like, you lo- like Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wives like Jesus who died on a cross for the church. Love her like that. We're not talking about buying roses only on Valentine's Day and your anniversary because that's how good you are as a husband. We're not talking about that. We're talking about laying your life down for your wife. We're talking about love, radical love in action. Paul talks extensively to the Corinthians about love. He talks extensively to all the churches he talks to about love. If you, if you want to watch last week's sermon, Bob did a great job unpacking what is all entailed in love. It's patient. It's kind. It's compassionate. It's humble. It's gentle. It's patience. The picture here is not the picture that we often get in our culture of a domineering man or of a passive man. A domineering man or a passive man. There's no room in that for Christianity. The picture in here is of a servant leader, a loving, humble, compassionate husband. Um, I, I was thinking about a picture of this, and, and, and one of the greatest pictures that I have is a story of good friends of mine named Tom and Mary. Uh, Tom uh, and Mary received diagnosis for Mary of uh, breast cancer a couple years ago. Um, and, and I'll never forget Tom sat with me one day and he was talking about the process of her uh, going through all her infusions and all her treatments and, and how she was so weak, she couldn't, she couldn't even hold a straw into her mouth. And one day he was sitting there with his beloved wife and, and she couldn't get the straw to her, he, he couldn't get, she couldn't get the straw to her mouth and he reached over and he took the straw and he put it in her mouth and she took a sip and she looked over at him and she said, this is love. Husbands, are you loving like that? Are you loving your wives like Christ loved the church? Stop being Peter Pan. Grow up. Don't be like Homer Simpson or Al Bundy or Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. That's not the picture here. The picture here is of a gentle, patient, compassionate, loving husband. And these two are coupled together, okay? These all come in twos. So so I want to encourage you here. Listen, you you got to hear this. When a husband loves his wife, guess what? It makes his wife capable of honoring him. And when a wife honors her husband, guess what it makes him? It makes him capable of loving her. Whenever I'm doing pastoral counseling, like almost every time when a couple comes in, There's something that's uh, happening in common when things are not going well. And what I call is the crazy cycle, okay? 
So, so he doesn't love her and he doesn't love her very well. And she's like, you don't love me, right? But then he's like, yeah, but you don't honor me. And she's like, no, I don't honor you because you're not honorable. And he's like, yeah, but I'm not gonna love you. And she's like, yeah, but I'm not gonna honor you. And round and round and round and round we go. It's not the cycle that God wants to lead us into, that Paul wants to lead us into. He wants us to lead us into the cycle where we love and honor one another. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, honor your husbands. Second section of this. These two go together as well. Number three, obey your parents. Kids, okay, stop building the fort, okay? Just for a second. Sit on the couch next to your parents, okay? Stop running around, whatever you're doing. Just sit down, I'm talking to you for one moment. Okay, Pastor Brian, talking to the kids, okay? Eli, Ava, are you there? I hope you are, okay? I'm gonna check with your mama later, all right? Here we go. So here's what Paul says. He says, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Listen, kids, I know that that's super hard sometimes. Sometimes you don't even understand the rules that they have, don't you? You're like, why does mom and dad have those rules? I don't even understand why. Why do they say no all the time? Why do they they discipline me? They seem like silly rules. See, there's something in the Bible, there's this picture of God. And the picture of God often is of a father. It's of a parent. In fact, when Jesus, when he teaches his disciples how to pray, he says, hey, Start by saying, our Father who is in heaven. And guess what? God disciplines our lives. He gives us rules to live by because he knows what's best for us. And kids, I just want to talk to you for a minute. Your parents, they love you. They know what's best for you. They are doing the absolute best they can. They're going to do some things wrong. They're going to fail you sometimes. They're going to have to say they're sorry sometimes. They're going to have to do better as well. But what what Paul says to them is love them and obey them. There's these old commandments, the 10 commandments. And, And God instructs his people to honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land your Lord, your God is giving you. God has a great life for your kiddos. He has a great, great life for you ahead of you, this amazing land ahead of you. But part of how you can walk into that land so you can live in it forever is by honoring and respecting and loving and obeying your parents, okay? Okay, you can go back to building your fort now. All right. Parents, number four, encourage your kids. It's two-way street, just like husbands, wives, kids, parents. Says this, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Once again, this is transformational in the cultural context. Kids were not held in a high esteem. They were not held in the esteem that we have nowadays, right? Nowadays, I'm like, some of y'all are crazy parents. Like you spend crazy amounts of money on your kiddos and you hold them too high, too high of an esteem. You actually worship your kids, which God does not condone. He does not smile down upon worshiping our children. But that was not the case in this day and in this age. In this day and this age, kids were not held in a high esteem. 
And so when Paul says to the, to the parents, especially fathers, don't embitter your kids, what he's saying is be a source of encouragement to them. Don't crush your kids. Don't expect too little and don't expect too much. Don't crush your kids. Instead, be a source of encouragement. Sometimes it's hard for your kids to obey you because you're not doing that good of a job. Can I just say that? Like sometimes you've made it really, really, really hard for your kids to obey you. And it shouldn't be hard for your kids to obey you. They should be able to see why they're obeying you and why this is helping them in their life. Like you gotta have the conversation with your kid where, saying, where you say, hey, this is why I want you to listen to me. Because, because if you make this bad decision, then that's gonna affect your life negatively. And I want your life to go well. So you need to listen to me so that it can help you out in this life. You need to lean in and have those conversations with your kids. You need to have a, 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 a sort of a sense in the family that this is a place of encouragement. We want you to succeed, not fail. You ever had a teacher that you thought, oh, that person wants me to fail, right? And then on the opposite side of that, you ever had a teacher who you thought wanted you to succeed? The one who wanted you to succeed, the encourager that you had in your life, they didn't lower their standards. What they did is they just created a culture within their classroom where they nurtured you and developed you and they wanted you to succeed. Parents, you need to want your kids to succeed. You need to, you need to get them in a place, in a culture where they can grow and be encouraged. I coach basketball quite a few years up in Big Sky. Uh, and I got to work with kids and coach kids. And one of the articles I read that was really interesting was a study that was done on, on people running track. And what they did is they, they took this team and they broke it up into three equal groups. They all had similar times. They all had similar abilities. And they said, hey, we're gonna study these three groups and see how we can help improve their performance. So the first group they took and they just helped critique them. They were like, here's what you need to do with your form. Here's what you need to do with your stride. Here's what you need to do with your arms. And all they did was they worked on form, worked on form, worked on form and tried to get them faster. And they saw a little bit of incremental growth. The second group that they had, they did a little bit of two different things. They did a little bit of encouragement, like, hey, you're doing good, good job. And then they also critiqued them. <clears throat> they also said, hey, here's what you need to do with your form. Here's what you need to do with your arms. Here, here's how you can run faster. And there was a little more growth in that group than the first group. And then what's most interesting is there was the third group. And the third group, all the coaches did was encourage. That's it. They just said, you can do it. You're doing a great job. We believe in you. You're so fast. This is going to be awesome. And guess what? The most growth out of all three of the groups came from the group with just encouragement. With just encouragement. Their times were faster than anyone else when the process was over. Parents, are you encouraging your kids? Are you not crushing them under the weight of glory, but are you encouraging? Once again, these are coupled, right? So kids, you need to obey your parents. And parents, you need to encourage your kids. What happens when we get sideways with our kids, right? 
They don't obey us and we get mad and we start saying things we shouldn't say and like, hey, if you don't do this, we're gonna threaten you and da, 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 right? And the kid's like, well, I'm not obeying you now, so that's not gonna happen, right? And then we say, well, I'm not encouraging you because you're just like your father and you know what I'm saying? Like, this is what happens. It's a crazy cycle. And what Paul is inviting us into is a different cycle of life. He's saying, listen, fathers, mothers, parents, encourage your kids. Cheer them on. Love them. Encourage them. And then kids, obey. Obey your parents. Kids, when you obey your parents, it helps them to be able to encourage you. And parents, when you encourage your kids, it helps them to be able to obey you. Let's continue. So we've got the home figured out now. Let's talk about your, uh, your life at your job. So Paul's guide to that's life at your job. Number one, Paul encourages us to be an excellent employee. He talks to uh, masters and slaves, which was kind of the deal in that, in that day, right? Um, but... If, for those of you who are like, oh, how do we even deal with this? Uh, if you want some more cultural context and you want to hear Paul's thoughts on slavery, actually go to the book of Philemon, which is an accompanying book to this. It's why it's important to read the whole Bible, not just the pieces you like, right? So uh, Philemon, he writes a letter to Philemon to talk about a slave named Onesimus. And uh, he encourages the freeing of Onesimus. So Paul in here is not encouraging slavery. He's not doing anything like that. So what we need to do is be able to pull out what does this actually mean when he talks to slaves about obeying your earthly masters in everything. I think what Paul is saying to us is be an excellent employee. I think Christians should be the best employees ever. I think if you're a Christian, you should be the absolute best employee that your business has ever had. I think you should always go the extra mile. I think you should always do your best. I think you should always come in on time. I think your yes should be yes and your no should be no. And that should be because you worship Jesus. That's the point of this passage. He says, hey, slaves, listen, you got to obey your masters, but you got to know something else is going on. You don't serve them. You serve God himself. I think we should be the best employees ever. We should be such excellent employees that our bosses go, what is different about that person? What's, what is, why are they so excellent? Um, okay, we don't have this in Bozeman yet, but man, I went to Denver and there's Chick-fil-A was in Denver. Oh, like if Jesus ate chicken, you know where he'd eat it, okay? So Chick-fil-A has the most excellent employees. And it shouldn't surprise you that Chick-fil-A is run by Christians, right? It's Christian chicken, okay? And if you pull up to the drive-in, okay? And you say, hey, can I have some barbecue sauce? Do you know how they respond? It would be my pleasure. That's what they say every single time. It would be my pleasure. Listen, I have not heard that in other restaurants. So I'm just gonna say it. I just haven't. Like, it's their pleasure to serve you. It's their pleasure to be an excellent employee. It is God that you serve. Jesus told this little story. He said, when you give a cup of water to the least of these, you just do a little something. Just a cup of water to somebody that's thirsty. You know what you do? You do it for me. 
You, you don't just do it for, for that person. You, you do it for them because they're an image bearer of, of God himself, but you actually do that for me when you serve. We should be the most excellent employees. Be an excellent employee. And last, be a better boss. Be a better boss. This, once again, was transformational in that day. Bosses, nobody talked to bosses back then. Nobody cared about what masters did with their slaves. Like they treated them however they wanted to. And, and, and Paul says, masters, provide your slaves what is right and fair. And then he reminds them, hey, you've got a master in heaven. That's, that's awesome. That's amazing. And so what that should lead us into is being a better Boss, here's why you should be a better boss. Because you have a better boss. You should be a better boss because you have a better boss. What if you thought about your business as a kingdom building business? What if you didn't separate church on Sunday from work on Monday? What if you said, I actually believe what Paul said in Romans, that I'm going to offer my life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week. If I was going to offer all that I had to offer to the world in my business, in my company, in my nonprofit, to my employees, if I was going to offer that as if offering it to the Lord, because guess what? It's not as if you were offering it to the Lord. It's because you are offering it to the Lord. And so you should be the best boss that anybody has ever had. Be a better boss. Um, my uncle, Uncle Dave, I worked for him for one summer and he owned a company called Masterpiece Stair. Masterpiece Stair. He actually was building that out of uh, the passage in Ephesians uh, that you are God's workmanship, you are God's masterpiece, all right? And so he said, hey, I'm gonna create stairs. What you think? Oh, that's just a stair. Like, why would I create? Why does that matter to God? No, my uncle, he saw this transformation. He said, listen, we're gonna build stairs for the glory of God. And not only that, he went a step further because he had a mostly Spanish-speaking uh, uh, workforce working for him and with him. And, and, and most of them were first or second generation Mexicans. And, and because they had families still in Mexico, often they would send money back to Mexico. They would help their family back in, back in Mexico. And, and one time I heard about my Uncle Dave, I was heading on a trip to Mexico. And I'm like, what are you doing going down to Mexico? He's like, I'm going down there for Christmas. I'm gonna bring a big red bag full of stuff. And, and no joke, he gets down to Mexico. He goes to these folks' villages and they called him Gringo Claus, okay? Gringo Claus. Gringo is like the slang term for white guy, okay? White guy, Santa Claus. That's, so Gringo Claus shows up in town with presents for all family members and everybody there. He goes and blesses him and he loves him because why? He's a better boss because he has a better boss. Once again, it's a cycle. If you're an excellent employee, it allows your boss to be a better boss. If you're not an excellent employee, it, it makes it harder for your boss to be a better boss. What if we were excellent employees and better bosses that would work out so, so well? Here's a big idea. I want you to mirror the dance of God. In all of these things, I want you to mirror the dance of God. There's this big term called perichoresis. 
which means mutual indwelling. It means, it means that Jesus, the Son, and, and the Holy Spirit, and the Father, the triune God, they're, they're mutually indwelling. This is just really, really hard for us to wrap our mind around. I spent an entire semester in one class just trying to figure out what, like, what does this even, what does this even mean? People spend their whole careers studying the triune nature of God, but, but this word perichoresis, it, it gives a semblance of, of like a dance. Like, like, have you ever seen a really good couple dancing? Like, like, the, their movements are seamless and, and like, you just seem like, where does she begin and where does he end? And, and boy, they're just, they're just perfectly in sync and it's just beautiful. See, that's the picture of the triune God. It's hard to see where Jesus begins and ends and the spirit begins and ends and the father begins and ends in the Godhead, the one God. See, God, God glorifies God the Father, he glorifies the Son. And, and God the Son, Jesus, he glorifies the Father. And, and Jesus even says to his disciples, it's better that I go away and leave that the Spirit might come to you and lead you into all understanding. See, they're just, they're just mutually submitting to one another. They're building each other up. They're, they're just dancing around one another in the most beautiful way. And you have been invited into this. You've been invited into the dance of God himself in the relationships you have in your life. So, your next, your that's life next step. Pick one area that you desire to grow in. And then what I want you to do, I want you to share that with somebody this week. Share that with someone that can hold you accountable, that can help you in this. Will you honor your husband? Will you love your wife? Will you obey your parent? Will you encourage your kids? Will you be an excellent employee? Will you be a better boss? Don't think about what somebody else needs to do. This week, I want you to think about what you, what you need to do. Heavenly Father, thank you that we... We get to love because you loved us first. And we can honor each other because you, within yourself, you, you honor. Thank you, God, that you're a good father that we can obey. Thank you, God, that you're a great source of encouragement. Thank you, God, that our work matters. Jesus, I pray for those who are engaging with this right now. I pray that they wouldn't look to others, but they would look in their own hearts and their own lives to where God wants to shape and mold them right now. Make us more and more like you, Father, Son, and Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.